It's the electric chair, trouble in Iceland. It's your old pal Midnight Corey again, coming to you with another episode of The Electric Chair. You know, I really appreciate that you listen. I sincerely do. It's a very cool thing. Um, we're on uh, Stitcher Smart Radio, which is a great app that I mention each and every week. Um, of course, we're on SpookShow.tv. The video version is on Spook Show. And, and speaking of The Electric Chair show, um, the 2D version of it, uh, there is another episode that's ready to go out. I just have to shoot a couple more things for it. But uh, again, I had a really busy week. Plus, I've had this whole allergy thing this week. I don't know what it is. I don't know if that stupid hurricane is just like whipping up all kinds of stuff and sending it my way and making me freak out. But uh, yeah, I, I have these crazy allergies I've, I've just developed in the past probably like 10 years here. And I went and got uh, I went to an allergist and, and got tested for it. And it's like, you know, I, I totally felt like, you know, I, I, you know, in Hellraiser or something with uh, all these needles, they draw a little thing on your back and they poke you with needles and everything. And uh, yeah, it just uh, it's really, really odd. But uh, they determined what I'm allergic to. And do you think I've tried to seek treatment? No, no. But at least now I know. Anyhow, it's been torturing me, uh, this, especially this past week, man. So, uh, yeah, things got held up, and it was just a mess this week. But that's going to be the one with Sandra DaCosta. And uh, then also this week's guest, who is Rob Watts, fantastic author. He just wrote a novella called Hold a Folk, and I talked to him all about that. But um, he's going to be on uh, one of the upcoming episodes as well. So I have some kind of in the hopper here, ready to go. I just got to get my thing together over here going on. But uh, yeah, so that is coming up. Um, doing the best I can. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And so what can you do? But I, I apologize for the delay in getting some of this uh, great content out to you guys. Um, I have a voicemail line, 206-337-5096. And uh, this week, I am so excited because my friend and yours, Misfit Boy, uh, sent me a clip, and it's it's got some really interesting stuff in it. So let's listen to Misfit Boy. Hello, Corey. This is your old pal, Misfit Boy. And I figured, you know, I called into the show yet, so I thought I would wait until I had something of some type of interest, which I think I finally do. It was after listening to your episode on Return of the Living Dead and you know how much I love that film also first of all I gotta thank you for having me on the show not once but twice I had a great time both times second you have a guest on there a couple times um, Jamie from Devour the Podcast who I found to be very intelligent when it comes to horror films and she has some great insight she's becoming one of my favorite guests on the show and okay well enough patting everybody on the back now the reason I called is during that episode with the exception of uh, Evil Dave I believe I think it was you and Jamie thought that Shaun of the Dead was better than Return of the Living Dead now you know me everyone has a right to their own opinion I don't judge anybody and I'm not saying that Shaun of the Dead is a bad film in any way I love that film it would be in my top 10 for sure but I can't help but wonder why so many people find that to be a better film than Return of the Living Dead. I mean, Return of the Living Dead is the original zombie comedy. And this is just my own opinion. 
I know they were in different eras when they were released. Uh, maybe because Sean is more modern. I don't know. But I actually did some research between the two films and I came up with something interesting. Okay. Now, what I did is I went through a couple years and when both of these films were released and I came up with a few titles. So for Return of the Living Dead, it goes from 1984, 85, and 86. And then for Sean, I went from 2003, 2004, and 2005. And I came up with something interesting, and I'll get to that at the end of this. Like I said, you know, Return of the Living Dead is big in pop culture. I mean, where do we get brains from? You know, nowadays when people think zombies, they think brains. It's not just eating flesh. I mean, Dan O'Bannon, you know, he was from Aliens and even brought along John Russo from Night of the Living Dead. The soundtrack alone is probably the greatest soundtrack I have ever heard. You know, like I said, just my opinion. But anyway, let's get down to this real quick here. And I'll try not to take up too much time here. Like I said, I love Shaun of the Dead. I have nothing against that film whatsoever. Alright, so Return of the Living Dead was made in 1985. And these are the films that came around. In 1984, we have Night of the Comet which a lot of people consider, you know, a great classic film. And I am one of those people. The only other one that I really can recall was Zombie Island Massacre, which was terrible. Moving on to 1985, we have <laughs> the Titan itself, Day of the Dead. And if that wasn't enough, we have Reanimator. We also have Return of the Living Dead. And then we have another one, Hard Rock Zombies, which a lot of people I'm sure remember. 1986, a film that you really liked a lot, and so did I, Night of the Creeps. Also in 1986, The Supernaturals, one of the first Civil War zombie films. And finally, Raiders of the Living Dead. I think we all pretty much feel the same about that film. Now, granted, there are some garbage films that I put in there, but I just wanted to be fair. But remember, Return came out right around the same time as Day of the Dead and Reanimator. Now, moving on, Shaun of the Dead and the films around that year. 2003, Beyond Reanimator, the third installment of the Herbert West trilogy. House of the Dead, and I think we all pretty much feel the same about that film. Undead, great film, awesome from Australia. Then we move on to 2004. Bone Sickness. I remember this film for the simple fact I consider this the worst zombie film ever made. Dawn of the Dead, the remake. I love this film. Another film that is going to be in my top 10 for sure. Dead and Breakfast. It's a funny little film. I enjoyed this one. Hide and Creep. This is one that a lot of people don't really have on their radar and I definitely recommend that people go and see this. Resident Evil Apocalypse, a lot of people hated this one. Then we have Shaun of the Dead, of course, and last and least, Zombie Nation, which a lot of people consider to be the worst zombie film ever made. 
Moving on to 2005, we have All Souls Day. I believe this was a sci-fi original. And uh, you know what a lot of people think about the sci-fi channel films. Boy Eats Girl. Um, it's okay. Not too bad. Day of the Dead 2, Contagium. Uh-huh. Dead Man Walking. Not a bad movie. It takes place in a prison. Kind of slow, but decent. House of the Dead 2. Even Sid Hay couldn't save this film. And last, and certainly least, Return of the Living Dead, Rave to the Grave. Now, do you notice how a lot of bad films came out around Shaun of the Dead? Now, it makes me think, maybe, maybe even on a subconscious level, maybe people love Shaun so much, so much due to the garbage that came out around the same time. Whereas... Return of the Living Dead, we get some gem titles. Like I said, I love Shaun of the Dead, but I can't understand why so many people put it ahead of Return. You know, maybe some of the listeners could be kind enough and call in and give their take on which film is better and why. You know me. <laughs> I'd love to hear opinions when it comes to zombie films. I remember the first time that I... Someone when I first went on the Midnight Podcast forums, there was the first thing I saw, which film is better? Shaun of the Dead, Return of the Living Dead. I made the mistake of putting down Return, and within a half hour someone wrote back and said that you, sir, are on crack. So my response was, No, sir, I am on trioxin. Yeah. Now what I did I found to be really interesting, and I plan on doing that with some other films, like maybe Blair Witch Project, just to you know, kind of give me an idea. I just find this very interesting. Maybe I'm just an idiot, but, well, who cares? Now, I think you were a Sean fan over Return. I'm not 100%, but I think that you enjoyed Sean more than Return. If that's the case, hit me up sometime, man. Maybe we'll do a friendly little discussion about it. I think it would be a ball. I would have a blast on that. But I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Like I said, if any of the listeners out there can maybe leave an email, voicemail to the show, and tell me why Shaun of the Dead is so much better than Return. All right? Well, take care, Corey. Always good to talk to you, man. I'll talk to you when I do. All right? Until then, brains. More brains. Later. Oh, dude, you always have great things to say. You know it. And that is a really interesting concept that you bring up. And and first of all, I think I do rank, you know, Shaun of the Dead a little bit above Return of the Living Dead as far as, you know, my top ten and, and whatever. But, I mean, what is that really? I mean, I can watch them both and enjoy them both and love them both. And just like to rank things, you know, I... I it's it's really hard. And that's why I, I don't really like ranking movies a whole lot, even though I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, go figure. But they're, they're such different movies. I mean, they just happen to have zombies in them, and that's really about it. Uh, they're different kinds of zombies. It's a different story. It's a different presentation, different eras, decades apart. So it's really unfair to compare those. But um, it, I love... What you had to say, though, about the movies that came out around them. So horror fans were seeing all these great movies, even around Return of the Living Dead, and yet it rose to the top of all the great movies. And then you look at Sean, and it rose to the top 
because everything else was crap. And was that actually the reason why, you know, people uh, like that movie so much? And that's a great question. And I'd love to talk with uh, with you and others, uh, of course, about what they think and uh, which is the superior movie or is can you call one superior over the other? I'm, I'm not sure that you can. But, uh, dude... That's some food for thought right there. And I'm going to definitely give it some more thought and hopefully talk with, like I said, you and uh, hopefully some other people and uh, get some perspectives on this because that was really interesting. So I encourage you all to send me in clips of that caliber if you can do that because it will be hard, I know, because that was fantastic. But I would like you to try. So yeah, yeah. Email me an MP3, send it through the contact page on the website or call the voicemail line, which again is 206 337 5096. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. What I got this week, Rob Watts. Let's listen now. The zombies are everywhere. We're all going to die tonight. Right now, I'm really happy to be talking with author, musician, among many other things, Mr. Rob Watts. Rob, welcome to the electric chair. Hey, thanks for having me, Corey. Absolutely. Now, you are from, of course, uh, the great state of Massachusetts. You're up there in the Boston area. And, dude, like I said, I'm a sucker for uh, Boston accents. And uh, so it's really, that's an extra special cool thing, you know, that I get to enjoy tonight as we speak. So that's uh, cool. that's really I'll great. On the car and the yard and uh, all that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate it. But uh, no, um, you were uh, kind enough to send me uh, your, uh, I think it's one of your newest books. I don't think, I don't know if you've done anything newer than this lately, but um, one of your newest efforts, which is really, really cool. It's called Hold a Folk. I hope I pronounced it correctly. Um, But it's a novella as well as uh, an accompanying CD. And uh, so just for everyone out there watching and listening right now, uh, tell us a little bit about this project, the Cedar Grove um, kind of uh, a series of novellas you got coming out. Yeah, well, it was interesting because I, I knew I wanted to kind of do some sort of like a, a book series of like small, you know, like, like you said, little novellas. But I, I started writing this book about my travels, you know, the stuff I discovered over in Iceland, uh, about the folklore of the Hope folk and everything. And it was just one of those things where I said, well, I want to get going on the series, but I also want to, you know, work on the Icelandic um, ghost story. I said, well, maybe I can incorporate them somehow. So, you know, as you read, I kind of incorporated it as, you know, a young New England couple goes and honeymoons over in Iceland. And I figured, well, you know, that that's a good starting point. So maybe I can kind of, you know, Fuse it with all the the, um, the elements of the Icelandic folklore and their belief system and the whole of the folk and blah 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 and just kind of bring it back to New England and Massachusetts and kind of put a you know a new and a little bit more original twist on the old-fashioned ghost story, pretty much. So I figured that was a great way to kind of tie both of them in because I love the, sim- the simplicity of you know, just a haunted house story. Mm-hmm. I think everybody can relate to it. It's, you know, no matter how the story's told, it's it's scary to anybody who's living in a home because if your house is haunted, you're not escaping it. Mm-hmm. So I figured, I don't want to just do the simple little, ooh, the house is haunted and why. So I figured, you know, let me add the whole legend of Hold the Folk 
kind of blend it in with that and then kind of leave it as an open end at the story is to is it the house haunted for other reasons? Is it the hold of folk? Uh, you know, what have you. So I figured it was a good marriage. It was. It was. And I really, really enjoyed it. Um, there, you do great writing. Uh, you're very good at it. Um, and uh, you, you wrote a good story. I love, like you were talking about, you, you took kind of the... The very fantastic, very uh, you know exotic element of Icelandic culture and the lore uh, that goes into that—that that is, uh, you know, not a whole lot of people know a lot about that, and it's really kind of strange to us Americans. Um, a lot yeah. of the beliefs, um, and I found myself really being intrigued by that. And then just reading that you've actually been there, and so you were kind of immersed in this culture for a period of time, and and I'm sure you learned all kinds of crazy things that uh kind of go on there culturally and um so i like how you wove that in again you brought it back to new england and new england to me i mean i, I think of you know so many scary stories and movies you know especially I, I think of stephen king you know it was one of the first uh first ones um as far as writing and movies go that uh it just kind of brings this old world kind of classic charm uh, to horror, yeah. and uh, it's a great setting. So I really, I really enjoyed how you did that. You put a new spin on a on a paranormal kind of tale, a haunting thing, and uh, it was great. Not to mention the CD, um, very cool. How'd you come up with the with the idea to kind of make an accompanying CD with this? Um, I think maybe with the idea of like it's just kind of doing an original type of ghost story and um, incorporating the Icelandic stuff, I figured, well, why don't I just give it a little bit more depth and maybe add, you know, like a soundtrack to it. I, I'm not even sure exactly when or how that idea kind of came to light. It was just, I, I was messing around with um, some sounds I recorded and stuff like that. And then, I don't know, something kind of triggered something in my head. So it just kind of sounds like one of them, like, Icelandic tones, because I'm a big fan of the music scene over there. I mean, that's just a different thing for me that um, I could talk an hour on. But, uh, you know, I love their music, and I, I just figured, you know what, I, I'd like to maybe touch on the musical culture over there as well. But I'm thinking, well, you know, how can I do that without adding just crap loads of characters and kind of... I didn't really want to take the reader on a bunch of different avenues. I wanted to kind of keep them centered on, you know, the storyline. So I kind of figured, well, if I make a fictional band and I kind of make them part of the story and kind of, you know, as you read, um, they kind of had their own horrific experience uh, encountering the whole of the folk. I figured maybe I can kind of tie that in with the story and give them their own album and kind of make it the soundtrack of, the book so you know in turn you kind of you're reading the book and you're reading about this cd that the that the um, honeymooners get from the band and well voila it's in your hands too you have it so i just figured that was cool a lot of people i mean it's really not done nobody really sits there and writes a book and then says gee i should put music to it now <laughs> i don't know what possessed me to want to do that but you know i did it it was fun um and it's got a great response. I mean, people love that whole, you know, idea. And yeah. also, anybody buys it, they love the fact that they get a free album with the book as well. Included. Yeah. So then I'm going to try to continue that trend with the next three in the series. Awesome. 
putting hurdles in front of me. You yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, that's that's a lot of work. And I don't think, you know, people, if you're not a musician, if you haven't done recording, you, you don't necessarily know the sheer amount of work that goes into doing that and uh, to producing it and recording it all, mastering it, and then make sure it's sounding good and coming up with the artwork for the CD, trying to figure that out, making that look good. I mean, there's a lot to, it's a lot like podcasting, actually. You know, people, you know, watch the podcast and listen to it and they, they just, I don't think, realize all the time the amount of hours. But uh, yeah, producing music like that, you know, you have what, three more CDs now to make, you know, for each of the three remaining installments, so make them sound different from the traffic lights one. They right. don't want to keep repeating themselves. So it's like, I mean, they have the, uh, an upcoming book ready to come out in the fall, and that's going to have its own CD of music as well. Um, and and then afterwards, they, the next two, and looking ahead, I have a pretty good idea on what I'm going to do with it. But as you know, <laughs> things have a way of changing and surprises. Oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> See how it goes. Yeah, but that was a great idea. It, it just brings that added value, like you said. You know, it's just a little cool <laughs> thing. There, there are a lot of a lot of writers out there, and a lot of books coming out, and and uh, somebody like you that kind of goes that extra mile, and you're like, hey, you know, I'm gonna give you a CD with this, and it's gonna be cool. You know, it just it's it's a little added bonus, you know, and it's yeah. it's uh, again going the extra mile, and and I think people will really appreciate that, especially in the day of you know, Kindles and, and downloaded books. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of just whether it's, you know, physical books, music, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll even throw it out there. I mean, I love vinyl albums still. You know, I just oh, love good it. man. Yeah. So, and I mean, I know that all of this stuff is pretty much going to be extinct for the most part <laughs> down the line. But, you know, for me as a writer, I want to see my work in physical form. I mean, I didn't yeah. grow up when I was young and say, someday I want to see my name on an e-reader. You know, <laughs> yeah. I want to do the whole artwork and, yeah. and, you know, somebody spending money on my work, I want them to act, you know, really be getting the best bang for their buck. So that was another big reason with the music is, you know, just give them a little something, you know, more of a keepsake. You know, you can download the book if you want, but, you know, you buy it physical form, you're going to get the album in the book and all that stuff so yeah and you're signing all of these too i mean you're, you're signing all the books that you sell which is yet again just something else cool that you're just kind of doing and you know it just yeah. uh, it's a little added strain on your hand i'm sure but uh, i think goes a long way and it means a lot to the readers and numbering them all too so i mean each yeah. one is a kind of 250 so i mean even then it's you know i'm like sitting there <laughs> taking, numbering okay number 220 just went out uh, you know wow. and, up with the CD, so they're numbered the same. And but you know, again, it's something special that you know you want to give the, the buyer and the reader. And just you know, I don't want to give, I don't want to have anybody buy something from me that they'll read and go in turn sell it on Amazon. You know, and use books. You know, I want to give somebody something that they're going to want to keep. Yeah. You know, why I kept you know the lumber, the numbers pretty low. You know, in a limited run. You know, so I think, you know, I just, I love that too. Like when I'm buying somebody's work, I like the whole, you know, uniqueness of buying something that's limited that could run out potentially in the next several months and nobody will be able to have it. And I do. So I think that's kind of, you know, the background to why I did this with the books, with the limited edition and the music and the signing and all that. So. Cool. Well, I, I certainly appreciate it, and it's uh, it, it's very very cool. So thank you for that. Um, 
And uh, so how'd you get into writing? I mean, um, you know, you've you've actually written several things and, um, you know, you've, you've done a lot of other things. Like I said, you, you're a man of many talents and, and many different interests and things like that. And and uh, so what made you decide to kind of pick up the pen or the you know, get on the laptop and uh, start writing and putting it out there? Because it's hard, you know, to put your words kind of out there for the public to read, to consume to critique you know and it's uh you know you're really putting yourself out there so what made you take that step i mean i guess i could say back in college i kind of got the bug to start writing you know expressing myself um you know i was taking creative writing as um, an elective whatever i was studying there um and through that a few people had encouraged me oh you should just write something for the college newspaper thing and i did and, you know, I think it maybe started there. I mean, it, it wasn't like a, like, oh, now I'm on the path of writing. I, yeah. I was interested in it. I wrote just for myself for a long time. Um, and then throughout the 90s, I was just dabbling in, like, poetry and song lyrics and stuff like that, just to kind of, but nothing else, just to get the feel of actually writing something from, like, start to finish and, I guess that was my best practice, but I really didn't get serious until the early part of this decade, uh, or last decade, I should say, maybe about 2003. I started working on a, um, a book about Boston music scene, and as I just I grew up around musicians, and I, I loved the bands that came out of Boston my whole life, so um, I started working on that for a good number of years, doing all kinds of research, interviewing bands and whatnot. Uh, it was a great experience as far as learning the do's and don'ts about writing and and editing and you know blah blah blah. But by the time that um, it was about getting ready to be published, um, it, it almost just felt irrelevant by the time it was done. Hmm. I don't know it weird, but it, it was just one of these things where it kind of was just endless amounts of editing and interviewing. And finally, I said. You know what? Uh, I I love the project, but this is getting to just be too overwhelming with you know too many things. I need to actually sit down and and write something that's like you know a story in my head and to the computer. I don't want to be typing, researching backs and dates and all this other stuff. So I kind of put that aside. And about 2009, I started getting serious about the whole folk story and, and the whole. Gary's kind of was conceived at that point. Um, so, I mean, through all those years of actually writing and having some stuff published and everything, I, I'd probably say the Hold the Folk story was like the real beginning for me just because it was something that just, you know, it came to fruition due to just, I don't know, I was probably the most focused on getting this done and getting it done properly. Um, and it was fun being able to put like my traveling experiences over there to good use, mm -hmm. just from the knowledge of all that, you know. And like I said, you know, I was able to take all those elements that I picked up over there and put it in the story. So, um, you know, I guess over the past decade was good training that I kind of just put on myself. But you know, last good couple of years was when I pretty much consider myself, you know, like I'm a writer. I want to do this. This is something might not make a full living on it, but it's, you know, just another 
part of me, another job that I do, yeah. uh, or whatever else I do. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Now, my next question is, uh, why are you writing horror? What does, uh, you know, you're, you're writing, you know, thrillers, you're dealing with paranormal <laughs> things, you know, and, and uh, so what? why do you gravitate towards that? As opposed to going out there writing a comedy book or, you know, a Harry Potter clone or something like that, you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't really think I'm that funny. So just like, <laughs> uh, horror, it, it's, I grew up on it. I, I mean, uh, my sister and I always grew up on, you know, just watching scary movies and stuff. Um, you know, our mother would scratch her head and wonder, you know, why, what are they doing? But, um, you know, I, I think it's just like horror gives you like a, a real, like it, it, it stimulates you and you like it, it kind of grabs your senses and, and, and just, it, it leaves you with, I don't know. I mean, somebody could watch a horror movie or something like that and they take their own thing away with it. But, you know, for the most part, people are, you know, when you're scared, when you're walking out of a movie theater or you're, you know, watch something on TV and, and something really like, you know, affects you to the point where like, once the TV's off or you're leaving the theater and you're still thinking about what you saw and you're going into your house, you know, and you, you know, a dark house trying to flip your lights on and you're wondering, you know, what's that noise in the basement? I mean, that's something that comedy and drama and, you know, romantic comedies and all that nonsense, it just doesn't do that to you, you know? So that was always the big thing with me that like, it's just, it's a powerful kind of medium that just, it, it, it affects you more than any kind of other storytelling does to yeah. you. So I, I, I was always drawn to that. Yeah. And I agree. That's, that's why I do it. That's why I love it. Um, one of my earliest uh, memories of being scared is the first time I saw Night of the Living Dead when I was a little kid. And it was on TV some Halloween, you know, at like midnight. And I, I snuck out, you know, to watch it. And I couldn't believe what I saw. And it just, I didn't sleep for like a week, man. Every bump and everything that I heard outside was a zombie coming to get me, you know. And uh, it's, it's a kind of, and still to this day, I remember back to feeling those feelings and knowing what I was going through after seeing that. And uh, it still kind of gets to me, you know, as as uh, as an adult, or you know, age wise, I'm an adult, maybe not, you know, uh, mentally or you know, mature wise. But uh, so, what can you remember back to, like, what's maybe like the first horror movie that really scared you and kept you up at night, or what was one of the earliest ones for you? Easy, uh, the original Halloween, John Carpenter. Mm. I I went actually to the theater with my parents. They went to go see it back oh, wow. when. It 78 yeah. and I won't fully give my age away but <laughs> I was on that that was kind of the normal thing back then in the 70s you know you took your kids and I mean I remember not really understanding what I was seeing on the screen but I knew I was scared it was really scary and I remember you know the ride home my parents you know my mother talking about, oh my god that was so scary and this and that and for some reason you know the next following year or two it would be on like tv hbo something like that i always had to watch it and even to this day i still have to watch it whenever it comes on and it still affects me to the you know to the point where like dark rooms or something <laughs> like that or 
walking out a tree, you know, to bring the trash out or something. I'm always thinking of that, you know, that figure popping up out behind of a car, you know, or a tree or something like that. So, I mean, that's, I guess, goes back to what I was saying is, you know, for something to have that kind of power over you, I mean, it, it's just amazing. It's just, you know, I mean, some people don't get scared. Some people will watch horror movies and be like, this is so stupid. There's nothing scary about it. Yeah. But for that percentage of people that actually, you know, I mean, whether you're watching like Blair Witch Project and you don't want to go out in the woods at night ever again because of it or, uh, you know, like I said, Halloween. I mean, that, that's just an amazing um you know, amazing thing that, you know, somebody could write a book or make a film that just kind of, even even adults, it goes against everything that you're taught and all your logic, but, you know, it, it still somehow sticks with you and makes you second guess yourself as to like, is something really going to happen to me or, or what? Yeah, absolutely. And they don't make them like that anymore. I mean, it's just... You're, you know, you're really hard set to find something that's so simple and so, you know, gets you so viscerally, you know, because a lot of what we see anymore, uh, uh, you know, remakes, which are, you know, remakes aren't inherently a, a bad thing, but, uh, you know, it's not a whole lot of originality. I mean, you don't see a lot of the magic that we saw on Halloween or, or Friday the 13th or, you know, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, things like that. Um, you know, it seems like... There aren't a whole lot of new ideas out there, or at least not a whole lot of, of good presentation of established ideas, original presentation. Um, because you can show me something that I've seen before, but you you present it in a different way. you got a different kind of story to tell around it than it works. But uh, I don't know. Is there anything current, you know, anything out there, um, you know, in the theater, you know, horror-wise that you think has been worthwhile lately? Uh, not, not a lot, to be honest with you. I mean, um, like you said, the remakes, I mean, I know they certainly have their place. I mean, the whole reason for them was to kind of, well, A, cash in, but B, kind of hook the younger people that weren't around for the original, like Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, stuff like that. Um, and the same thing with sequels. I mean, we got like Saw 15 or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they make them because they know people are going to go see them, you know, whether they have bad reviews. And I mean, people just, it, it's, it's a thrill ride for people to go into the theater and watch. You know, I'm not particularly a big fan of the Saw series. Yeah. First one was pretty good. It was great storytelling. And if they'd stopped there, it probably would have went down in history as classic. Right. But it's kind of going down is a is just a big joke, you know, a big punchline at this point. Yeah. Uh, but um, we were talking before about a, a, a kind of a recent movie, House of the Devil. Yeah. I think is it's really good. Um, the, the director was Ty West, mm-hmm. um, who made that, and he kind of captured the all that was great about like the late seventies and early eighties kind of horror filmmaking. Uh, I mean, right down to the point of filming it on like, you know, 16 millimeter, whatever. Uh, oh yeah. Using the same, you know, bright yellow, um, credit, you know, captain. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And the freeze framing and all that stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you didn't know any better, you would think you were watching a movie that was made in, like, 1982, you know, right. on, on a, a 
the ad VHS. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And the storytelling was great, too. I mean, the writing was just, it was, a, you know, for anybody that didn't see it, I won't, you know, give any spoilers, but I mean, it's just, it's kind of a slow-paced movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people might not like that, but I, I think it just does a great job at building the suspense because obviously, you know, something's going to happen. But I think that movie did a great job of letting you know something's going to happen, but you have no idea what. You know, it, it, it just really kind of appropriately, you know, built suspense along the way by by using the kind of long drawn out scenes and and everything. But um, the acting was pretty good too. I mean, oh, that's yeah. can't really expect much these days, you know, with uh, actors. But I love the fact that he pretty much used relatively unknown people, mm-hmm. which I think is important in horror films, to be honest with you, too. I mean, once you know somebody from, you know, that somebody who's like in uh, The Vampire Diaries or, you know, someone popular, like, yeah, really going to work in a movie like that because you're identifying with that character for something else. But when you have, you know, characters that you're not familiar with, you're not identifying with them anything else other than what you're watching. And I think that's another important element in, in horror filmmaking, um, you know. So, I mean, bravo to him for not really cashing in on, like, you know, trying to get, like, the big marquee name to draw attention. I think he got the attention from that film just from solid, good storytelling and filmmaking. Yeah. And, you know, same time paying homage to all the classic films that we all love. Yeah. I am so glad that uh, you you wanted to talk about this, man, because uh, I love this film. Um, It was one that, uh, for many reasons, like you brought up, it is so 80s. This could have been taken right out of the early to mid 80s, uh, you know, down to the the hairstyles and the clothes and the music and everything. Nothing takes you out of it. He did it right. Uh, It didn't seem forced. Like he was really trying to beat you over the head with this is the 80s and he didn't have like the neon, you know, kind of crazy colors and a lot of mullets and, and stuff like that. Like, you know, he, he did a good job of tastefully putting it in so that uh, nothing's really drawing you out of the story. Um, and it, it's that's one of the strengths of this. You know, a lot of people complain, you know, the haters of this movie are like, it's too slow. Nothing happens until like the last 10 minutes of the movie. And you just got to sit through this kind of creepy babysitter kind of thing. And something might happen and nothing ever happens till the very end. Um, but me, man, I was drawn in. Like I was glued to this thing the whole way because you don't know. You don't know when something's going to happen. And the, the characters, you know, I, I especially love, and I can't think of the, the actor's name right now, but um, it was the main guy um, who hired the, the babysitter uh, for the night. Okay. And uh, he, he's been in some other things, um, but uh, he came across, uh, I think, really, really well because he was actually a very soft-spoken guy. He was um, very, very polite. and uh, But you know, there, was, there was just something not right, but you kind of wanted to like the guy. I mean, he was kind of likable. And... Uh, I'm almost in a sense. Like, right. You know, your sympathies. Yeah. Uh, which was another, you know, great part of that, you know, that, you know, you just like you said, you want to like him, you know, something's not right, but, you know, but it's like you got to hang in there to find out why. Yeah. And that's the power of good storytelling and, and character development. Yeah. And I, I won't spoil it either, but uh, it's definitely worth hanging in there till the end because, man, once it gets crazy, 
it it's off the charts uh nuts cool. i mean i'm I, I like i was almost kind of reminded of like a almost a rob zombie kind of sequence it's kind of like what rob zombie does during like his entire films you know for the whole time um you, yeah. did you get kind of this intensity and this kind of um brutality it's extremely brutal um, oh yeah it is it, you know it's, and the other thing um the lead character that you know the girl there i mean she was likable throughout the movie yeah. and that's another hard thing to find in movies i mean i can't tell you how many times i'm, I'm watching a movie and you know you get the female lead and you want her to be off in the first 15 minutes yeah. i mean i mean this was kind of like a relatable character you kind of cared about her kind of brings you back to like the original laurie strode in halloween where yeah. like you know, you didn't want anything to happen to this person. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, everything you touched on and, and what I was saying, I mean, that that's really the template of, you know, good filmmaking and good storytelling, you know. And, and it was a pretty simple story, too. It wasn't like an elaborate, over-the-top, you know, like the brain's going to shut down and trying to keep up with everything. I mean, yeah. I, I think some of the simplest stories can be the most effective and the most scariest. You know, uh, I, I just I wish you know Hollywood or you know all these indie filmmakers would kind of just take a step back and kind of go for more like simplicity in their storytelling and don't try to use every trick in the book on their first film or whatever. You know, just trying to you know, unload all their bullets on the first movie, you know. Um, you know, like there was another good one. I don't know if you saw it. The, uh, that movie Frozen came out a couple of years ago with the um, the group of kids stuck on the, the ski, ski On lift. the ski lift. Yeah, actually, I mean, it, it's... Um, I happened to watch about half of that movie because it was on a night... We, my wife and I started it really late. I think it was on Netflix. And uh, we wanted to watch a movie, and we were tired. And it had nothing to do with the movie because, actually, I was really digging it. Uh, they were up on the ski lift, and I think the last thing I saw was uh, the one, uh, the guy who uh, decided to jump off and broke yeah. his legs, and he's down there. I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And then for some reason, it was getting real, and I just kind of dozed off, and I'm like, oh, we'll finish this tomorrow. And then we never picked it up again, unfortunately. And, again, it had nothing to do with the movie itself that I fell asleep. It was just a bad time for me to even start a movie to begin with. Um, but uh, I wish I would have finished it because other people have told me the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like another one where, I mean, obviously I don't think I've ever seen that story ever you know, told in anything. You know, I mean, it was another original idea. Um, you didn't really feel bad for the characters, though. That was my take on it. I mean, you put yourself in that situation. But it's like, that's kind of a movie, though, that makes you think, my God, what if I was in that situation? You know, that's uh, not good. Ski lift, you know, in the middle of winter, and it's closed down for a week, and nobody knows you're up there. I mean, that was, uh, I mean, that was an original idea, and I think they did a great job on that as well yeah i love i love that concept though because you got to think that's the ideal kind of place to tell a horror story because so many people i know have thought it if you've ever gone skiing at all and you've ridden one of these things i mean you know you think some pretty horrific things could happen you're like what if i fall off this thing what if it breaks down what you know a ton of things run through your mind when you're on yeah. one of these and i can't think of another movie that's utilized it to the extent that uh, this one has so it was a great concept yeah it was a good job I like it. Yeah.
Yeah. So, um, you know, another thing about this movie was uh, that he kind of brought in this element of, uh, you know, based on true events. Um, we have a title card at the beginning of the film that uh, actually I, I remember this kind of thing in the 80s. Um, growing up um, because it has something to do with sort of this paranoia about satanic cults and all this activity and, you know, kidnappings and murders and everything all due to these satanic cults and how, you know, it says something like 70% of Americans in the 80s believed in the existence of cults and that they were doing things. Um, And so, you know, that kind of fed into... Yeah, yeah, but I, I remember that happening. I didn't realize it was that widespread. Um, but uh, do you remember that kind of thing going on? I, I do, actually. I mean, um, you know, like you said, yeah, early to mid-'80s. And, of course, I wasn't too aware of it back then because my mind was all on, like, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and oh, yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I do remember there was um, this kind of um, – small little i don't i don't even want to say cults but it was almost more like a, like a vampire cult or something they yeah. would call out uh, the south shore of massachusetts where i was um you know where i'm not too far from um and it was like a group of teenagers that were they were like performing these kind of sacrifices and stuff like animals and i mean not humans as far as i know but mm-hmm. um but I mean, I remember hearing stuff like that, you know, as far as like local news. But I do remember like the whole craze back in the day about like, oh, satanic cults, you know, down in, you know, Georgia or, uh, you know, another one out here. And I mean, it was just kind of scary because you don't know how to process that when you're a you know, little kid. Oh. All you know is, you know, what you know about Satan. Mm. <laughs> now all of a sudden you're hearing about people that are like, disciples and they're, they're running around and i'm like you know where are they they're not near us are they <laughs> i don't right. want to uh, but i like you said i think that was another good throwback that they used right there i mean that kind of was a, a an actual um you know happening you know like like a hysteria that was going on back in the day about satanic cults and and everything i mean it's obviously since died down you know at least as far as, uh, as far as we know, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I thought that was um, you know another great part of you know the film that they used was the whole like you know satanic sacrifices and followers and all that stuff. Yeah, so it, it is really scary to think about you know these people, and I mean I know obviously these people are still kind of whacked out and you know oh, yeah. following stuff, and it's like you said. It, in that film, it's something as simple as answering a babysitter ad. Mm. Now, that's supposed to be in the 80s, but you can kind of drop from that today. You know, you're answering a Craigslist ad or something. Right. You know, really, who you're going to have an encounter with for whatever reason. Right. I mean, Craigslist killer, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you, I mean, you just never know. So, I mean, yeah. I, I thought it was kind of a, a, another good part of that whole storytelling is like God knows, you know, what you're stumbling on in, in, in any given day, you know, or who you're going to encounter that's just whacked out that has, you know, more intentions for you other than hiring you as a babysitter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, yeah, great stuff. So, man, this is a fantastic film. It's it's on Netflix right now, so uh, you know people can stream it as we speak and uh, and uh, and watch it now. Now, Ty West, have you seen any other uh, of, of Ty West films? Um, you know what i I don't think so. I I, I heard he was making a sequel to something not oh. too long. But I, I, you know what? I, I wonder if it wasn't the uh, the, the latest Hostel sequel. Um, oh, but I think really? he checked out of it or something. That's huh. that I, I heard. Um, but I don't think I've seen anything else of his uh, yet. Um, like I said, yeah, I just kind of recently stumbled on the House of the Devil movie and I was just floored by it. So it's just a matter of trying to, you know, track down some of the other stuff he's done. I know he's pretty new too, you know, a newcomer to the scene. But um, you know, I'm actually really curious to see what he does next. Yeah, actually, a fantastic one that just came out here within the past few months is called The Innkeepers. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's funny because uh, he does a lot of uh, New England settings. You know, this I think was uh, Connecticut. House of the Devil uh, took place in Connecticut. Right, and yeah. um, the innkeepers actually takes place in this old uh, kind of renovated mansion, big old Victorian house somewhere in New England. I can't remember exactly where it was, but um, it's a hotel and it's kind of on the final night. They're shutting it down. And so there are these two innkeepers kind of holding the fort down, you know, for the final night. And they're just they don't want to be there And this whole interaction. And it is so effective. I think if you like. Uh, what he did, his style of filmmaking in, in House of the Devil, I think you really like The Innkeepers. Um, it's not as retro. Now, he doesn't try to go for, you know, trying to sell this as, you know, an 80s film. But uh, he puts that that sort of storytelling, that amount of thought into it. And uh, it's really, really fantastic. It's another slow burn. It's spooky. It creeps you out for so long before it finally just thrusts you into the insanity. So I'm gonna have to look for that. But, I mean, that's the kind of uh, stories I, I I want to invest my time in. You know, if I'm yeah. gonna sit for two hours, you know, I just uh, I'd rather watch something original and good storytelling. You know, rather than you know a remake of Nightmare on Elm Street or a, you know horrendous Friday the Thirteenth sequel. Oh, um, yeah. so, you know, but you know another thing you said like about you know everything the New England based element i mean i think more movies ought to be filmed in this area especially this time of year you know coming into the fall and everything i mean new england is is just creepy looking i mean so many just all these you know dark and kind of ominous idiosyncrasies about it um you know like I said, especially coming into the fall season i mean I think it's just an amazing backdrop for whether it's like a film or like just storytelling in general, which is, you know, why I just love basing my stories in New England anyway, just I'm, I'm a, you know, native. But, you know, just by, by being a native, I think I can do a pretty good job at, you know, just the description of like the landscape and, and just kind of, you know, give people an idea of the setting and stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm sure some good horror filmmaking could be done, you know, out in Southern California and stuff like that. But I think, you know, if you're if you're up here in like Massachusetts and like even especially Western Mass, mm. where you have the old, you know, abandoned factory warehouses and 
just you know our cemeteries and you know the, you know, the uh, weeping willow trees and everything in the background. I mean, it, it definitely just gives that much more of you know an element to the the horror and just the whole chilling aspect of everything. Uh, you know, I mean, Rob Zombie actually grew up in Haverhill, not too far from where I am. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, when he was, huh. yeah, not only people kind of make that local Boston, you know, distinct, you know, with him, but, um, but he did have his roots from here. And it's oh. funny, you know, watching, going back to his first one, it was a House of a Thousand uh, Corpses there. I wasn't particularly impressed with the movie, hmm. but his visual uh, just elements of the, the film. I mean, I could see a lot of like his New England roots in his mm. trace, in his filmmaking and storytelling, which I love. Um, I love him as a director. You know, visually, he, he's just genius. I mean, he, he knows what to throw into a scene and, you know, and to make it great. Um, I won't say everything he's done is a home run, but. You know, it's cool to watch his, you know, his stuff and kind of see a little of that, you know, North, North Shore of uh, Boston kind of background. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and I think he's even spoken about it in some interviews, too. Like, you know, he's uh, like something like a, a cemetery or like an old haunted house or something that's kind of like shown in something. And he'll talk about how it reminded him of something he'd be walking home from school up in Haverhill, Mass. Wow. You know, a creepy little area. So it's cool that he kind of has still those traces, you know, back home and kind of put them in his films. Wow. Um, that does make sense. That makes a lot of sense now that you say that. And I'm, I'm not sure I was ever aware that he was from that area. I always, I guess I always assume being that, you know, he's always been in bands and now he's doing music and stuff like that. I guess I just assumed he was sort of like a California guy. Um, and you know, start and then California. Now he's you know there pretty much fully doing films. But yeah, he did get a start out here. Uh, not anything career-wise. I think just his formative years, maybe until he was in high school, and then off he went to begin his journey. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I think it's really cool, you know, and especially the the area he grew up in is you know has a lot of creepy, dark little areas, you know, very you know suburban out in the middle of nowhere kind of things you know some old factory buildings out there uh you you know graveyard cemeteries out there are pretty ominous looking in itself so i mean i could totally see where he would you know be drawing a lot of that influence and putting it in his films you have you've cool. just so talked me into wanting to come up to to Boston, man, here in the fall. You know, especially if I could get up there, like spend Halloween up there or something like that, man. I think oh, I would love. It. Yeah, I'll, I'll take you around up here. I, I know all the places you need to hit up. You know, especially you know being a horror fan and, and just uh, you know, like you said, you're, you're a fan of the accent. <laughs> oh yeah, I could just sit there and just listen to people talk all day, and I'd be happy. You know. Oh, yeah, well, I could set you up in a few taverns, and you can sit there hey. and listen to them all day. I don't know. I'd be all right with that. But, uh, no, I do want to experience. I love the scenery. I love kind of the rolling hills and, uh, like you said, the, 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 the weeping willows and the old architecture, you know, these old Victorian houses and 
And uh, there's so much history there because, I mean, this was one of the first colonized areas, you know, coming to the new world. And so this is what has the most history behind it. And and uh, so much of that has been preserved and people take pride in that in that area. And uh, I've worked really hard to kind of preserve that look and that that feel of it. Oh, yeah, we definitely had some trippy stuff happening here too, right? when it first started. I mean, I mean, the witch hysteria, yeah. you know, you know, you know the, the, the uh, tourism board will tell you one thing, you know, like, <laughs> oh, just everywhere, all over Salem. Right. But I mean, it's still, even if only three people, you know, were, were hung and, oh, and yeah. burned, I mean, that that's just a crazy time period, you know, where right. it's pretty much where we got our start as a... Uh, you know, is a country was that kind of history and all that crazy stuff that was happening. So I mean, I, I think that lends itself well to, um, you know, just fans of that kind of stuff and like horror storytelling and films. I mean, it's a great place to kind of you know just absorb yourself in up here. You know, a lot of good stuff. I hope to get up there, man. And uh, so, well, man, it's it's been great talking with you tonight and just learning about you and, of course, just listening to you talk because I could do this all night. It doesn't matter what you talk about. It's, uh, you know, but uh, it's been especially cool to learn about you and kind of your, your influences and where you've come from. Talk about the, the, the great book. And I'm looking forward to uh, the rest of the series. And uh, can't it, it's, you know, Hold a Folk, you know, really uh, left me wanting more. And I can't wait to see... Because I know you're you're weaving all these stories together, you know, in the whole Cedar Grove thing, and uh, just to see kind of how you do that to kind of fill out this picture of this weird town, um, and uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to it. Where's uh, where can people find out more about you? Uh, you have a website. Yep, you can go to robwattsonline.com. Uh, pretty much everything is there that they need. They can buy books, learn more about me, uh, signing dates, whatnot. Um, I pretty much yeah, have everything that anybody would want from that site. Um, and then they can hook up with me, you know, via Twitter, Facebook, right off of that site as well. So fantastic. Um, welcome anybody to join my social networks. Yeah, that would be cool. Cool. I will link all of this up on my website so people can uh, find it very quickly and easily and uh, get to know more about you and buy some books. Yes, please. Please do. Absolutely. Well, Rob, it's been uh, great. Again, a lot of fun talking to you. Hopefully we can do this again. I'd really love to. And uh... Yeah, I, I'd love to. A great show, and you, you, know, you get some good stuff going on every week. So Thank I you. encourage anybody watching this to continue watching the shows. It's good stuff. Thank you, Rob. Well, have a great night, my friend. You too, man. Take care. All right. If you come across any living dead, aim for the head. There we go. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Mr. Rob Watts. I recommend that you pick up Hold a Folk and give it a read. Uh, it's a quick read. It's a novella. And uh, so, yeah, it's like 60, 70 pages, something like that. And uh, it's a really fun read. And there are more coming out in that universe. Um, there are going to be four altogether that, uh, you know, he's weaving together all around this Cedar Grove uh, location, which is uh, really cool. So uh, I got to thank Rob once again for taking time to talk with me this week. And, um, you know, the CD thing is really, really cool, too. Um, it's just a great, great idea, great concept. And uh, again, he is really working hard to give you something of real value. And uh, it definitely is. So all of his links will be up on my website. Of course, that is electrichairshow.com. Midnightcory.com is my other site. 
I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, and you can hook up with me there and I will talk to you because I'm a down-to-earth kind of person. I love talking, 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 talking. Yeah, yeah. I just love to hear myself make noise and I like to see myself making characters on the screen of the computer. So, yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's late. I'm recording this late and I'm just going off. Um, I, I appreciate that you're listening um, and I will talk with you again next week. And oh, oh boy, next week. I just want to mention, I will be seeing Katie Rotz and Chris Robo at uh, the uh, drive-in Super Monsterama. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. So uh, I talked about that before. Check it out. I might I might throw up a link to that. But uh, I'll be going to that next weekend. That is really, really exciting. I'm camping out, too. How about that? Yeah, lots of fun. Okay, thank you for listening. Talk to you again next week. Maria Palo, Maria Palo. Maria Palo, que estaba tú. Maria Palo, Maria Palo. Maria Palo, que estaba tú.